So let's start this way today. I think everybody has a story of the closest that they ever came to their life ending. And this is one of those stories for me. I was a young teenager at the time and was living on the East Coast. And we would go down to the Jersey Shore. Can I just say that the Jersey Shore in real life is not as creepy as it was on the TV show? And the people are not nearly that strange. But we would go there and, you know, there were times when the water got really warm. And when you go into the water, it's a lot of fun. And we enjoyed going there. But you may have heard of something called a riptide. And if you know what a riptide is, it's when the waves come in a certain way and they form this back current that really pushes away from the shore. And if you are on the other side of a rip current, it is too hard for you to swim back to the shore because it's pushing you out. Well, I discovered when I was out there that I was moving further and further away from the shore. And the harder I tried to swim in, the more it was pushing me away. And I was getting tired, getting exhausted. And there was nobody else out there with me. And so what do you do in a moment like that? Because safety is in that direction, but then if you know anything about how to get beyond a riptide, you got to do something that is counterintuitive. And that is not try to swim against it, but to swim sideways to the shore. And fortunately for me, while I was trying to make my way in, there was somebody who saw that I was struggling on the shore, and they started signaling me to go to the side. And so eventually I did what did not come naturally. And here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Jesus' words to people who are struggling, and they're facing a lot of opposition. Some of it is just being in a broken world. Some of it is because people are opposing them very specifically. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, and if that's where you are today, it can become exhausting. It can become anxiety-producing. And Jesus is today going to talk to people who are weak and exhausted and anxious and afraid. And if you're not in one of those difficult places, be thankful today. But know that there's another day coming. And it's just part of the reality of living in this life of ours. And how do we find the direction that especially does not always come intuitively that causes us to say, no, safety is that way, but I've got to go a different way because God has some different direction for me than what I would ordinarily conclude. And so these are the words that Jesus writes to a church, and just to give you an indication of how difficult it was for them, he says, I know that you have just a little bit of strength. You have a little bit of power. And the indications are from commentators that this church was very small. Might have been two or three dozen people who were gathered there. But also they lived in a place that was pretty uncertain and had a lot of things going wrong. I jotted down a few historical facts about this city um, called Philadelphia. It's founded by two brothers, and they loved one another greatly. One succeeded the other as the leader of that city, and that's where it got the name Philadelphia. And maybe you know Philadelphia has this um, definition of being the city of brotherly love. Now, you also might know that there's one on the East Coast. And let me just say, there may have been some people who went down there because it was cheaper than going to New York to watch their New York-based baseball team play. And they were representing their team with their colors and their name. And they were called things that they could never repeat anywhere, and especially in an outdoor service at church. 
And so, you know, a name isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Um, it was founded um, on Greco-Roman values, and the same as one of the other cities that we looked at, Pergamum. All the Roman gods were there. All kinds of paganism was present. If there was something that you wanted to believe, there's a good chance that you could find it there because there was a belief in pretty much anything under the sun. And so there was all kinds of temptation to go in all sorts of spiritual directions. It was located on a major trade route, but it's a small city. In the modern day, unlike a lot of the other um, cities that we're looking at in Revelation, it remains unexcavated because it just wasn't all that important. Um, and so it remains the way it was. It had volcanic soil, and it grew grapes really well there. In fact, their grapes in Philadelphia rivaled the grapes that you would find in Italy. And that's going to come back um, to bite the city in just a little bit. But wine was the backbone of their economy. Think Napa Valley, maybe, in California. They also lived on a tectonic plate. And in AD 17, the ground shook really hard, and there was a major earthquake, and everybody had to leave the city. And the Roman emperor felt so bad for the people in Philadelphia that he charged them no taxes for five years so they could get their lives reestablished, rebuild the city, and make their way um, back in. Six years later, another major earthquake hit, and this time there was absolutely no help from Rome. Like, good luck to you guys, and we're glad that you're a part of the Roman Empire, pay your taxes so we can fund um, Caesar's army, but we're not going to help you. In AD 70, there was another earthquake, and once again, they get no help to recover. And then in 92 AD, Domitian, who is one of the worst Caesars the Roman Empire ever had, decided to tear out all the grapevines in the city of Philadelphia. And so their economy was turned over, and now they were in competition with Rome, and Rome wanted to end that competition about the wine, so they were abandoned by the powers that be. And the followers of Jesus were also abandoned by other people. And many of them, as we're going to find out, came to faith as members of a Jewish synagogue that met in Philadelphia. But they came to know the Jesus of the Bible as the Messiah, the one who was promised for so long, and they put their faith in him. And they were kicked out and had the doors slammed in their face by the people that they used to worship together with and spend time with. So their identity issues, there's a deep sense of betrayal, and there is this overriding sense of anxiety. And when I think about the last few years in this country and everything that has been going on pandemic-wise, economic-wise, and in just relationships, I think there's a lot of similarity from Philadelphia to this day. And Jesus knows where they are. I know that you have but a little power. And here's what I want to let you know. If you're going through a difficult time, Jesus knows what you are going through. And I've wondered oftentimes, what is it about encouragement that truly matters in those moments? What helps people to get to a better place? Because a lot of things can be said during difficult times, but not everything brings encouragement. So what is it that gets that done? And here's what I've come to conclude, maybe by my own experience, but we see it here in these words too. It's when you're truly seen, and it's when people really understand. In our own lives, years ago, before we had our first child, about halfway through pregnancy, we experienced something called miscarriage. And there were a lot of people who talked to us during that time, everybody well-meaning, 
Some people quoted verses, and that's always good. But I got to tell you what meant the most and what truly encouraged us was people who said, we know what it's like. It happened to us as well. And it's hard, but you're going to make it. To truly be seen and to truly be understood brings encouragement in ways that nothing else does. And what we're going to see is Jesus speaking to people who are going through all kinds of difficulties and he's going to let them know, I know what you're dealing with. I know the details of your life. I know the struggles. And I know it's hard. So here's what I want to do. What is the advice that Jesus gives to these folks in the city of Philadelphia? And I want to put it in the form of four questions that we can ask ourselves when we go through difficult times. So here we go in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens um, and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Now, what's going on in there? Here's the first question. How big is my God? When we're going through a difficult time, I think we need to ask ourselves a question. How big is my God? And I think the temptation in times of difficulty is to think that God is not very big because look at what I'm going through. Or does God not really care? But here, Jesus speaks these words. He says, the Holy One. That means to be completely distinct, to be in a separate character, the one who is over all things. And so when you're going through a difficult time, in a relationship with God through Jesus, you have access to the one who is over the entire universe. How big is your God? He's also called the true one. And I recognize that we live at a cultural moment where there's a lot of this phrase being used of, hey, you, you live your truth, and you do you. But there are things that are true, and there are things that are not true. And there are things that are right, and there are things that are not right. And where would we go to get that compass heading of true north to know where we need to go? And Jesus speaks these words that he is the true one, that we are called to lean into him. But I want to spend most of the time on this question on the last phrase there says, to the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. And that is a reference to something in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22. And the nation of Israel is in captivity, and those same words are used. And imagine how powerless you feel when you were a captive, taken out of your own country and culture, taken away to a foreign land, immersed in another culture altogether, where all the beliefs are different than everything you have ever known. And God spoke these words to them. And opening doors is opportunities to have access. And shutting doors is actually an act of safety. Think of the gates in an ancient city. And so what Jesus is saying, bouncing off that idea to people who are in captivity, now saying it to people many years later who are going through a hard time, and I think still says to people here today, that in a relationship with God, you are with the one who opens doors of opportunity and gives you access to the one who is holy and true. And he also shuts doors that keep you safe. How big is your God? 
I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being with somebody else and that gained you access to different things. I can remember a time when somebody from this church invited me to be a part of a group that met together with the governor of Utah. And he invited some people of faith to come there. I ordinarily wouldn't have been there on my own. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know how to get in contact with him. I said, hey, the government wants to talk to some pastors. Would you be willing to come? And so we went there and he asked the question, hey, what are the things that are on your people's minds? What kind of issues do they care about? I said, well, some care about the Dallas Cowboys being underrepresented in this state and it's got to end. No, I shared a lot of the things, you know, that I've heard from people over the years about families and marriages and about all people being treated with respect and dignity. I never would have had a seat at that table if it wasn't for somebody else. And what Jesus is saying to those people going through a hard time is, you are with me. You belong to me. You're with me. And because of that, you have access to things that you would not have all on your own. And I'm the holy one who's over all things. I'm the true one. You can set your true north on your compass if you get confused in this world of ours. And I give you access to all that I have. And then Jesus goes on. He says this in verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And again, this is this idea of having access. And it's interesting that Jesus very specifically goes back to the same idea. And I put an open door in front of you. I have given you unprecedented access. And we might ask the question, well, to what? Is it to help that we get them through the hard times? And the reality is the access is to, to him. It's to Jesus. Tim Keller is a pastor who is somebody that I've admired for a long time. He just went to go meet Jesus a couple days ago. And he said something once that I think is so profound. He said, only a child would wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water. Right, if you're not a child and you go try to wake up a king for a glass of water in the middle of the night, you better have a relationship, right? You better be close. And that's the picture what Jesus is talking about there. I have opened a door for you. You are a child of mine. And if you need a glass of water at 3 a.m., you come because you know the king. And you will not be let go. I've set before you an open door. You have access. And so really the second question for us to ask is, where do I turn in difficult times? Where do I go? And I don't know about you, but as I look back on some of the difficult moments in my life, the ten tendency and maybe the natural inclination is in difficult times not to turn toward God, but to turn away because we typically ask these kind of questions. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why me? Why again? Why does it have to be so hard? And really, we bring doubt and questions to our relationship with God. Jesus says, the door is wide open. And you are welcome here. And you are a child of mine. And I've set before you an open door. So when we encounter a difficult time, will we walk through that door? Will we step into our relationship with Jesus or will we turn away from it? And some of that can feel so counterintuitive. And yet we're invited 
to come. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, um, which no one can shut. And I know that you have um, little power, and you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. So where do you turn when things get hard? And it might feel like we get to that place where we are weak and exhausted and anxious and afraid, and it can be easy to think that safety is there, but we are called in a counter intuitive direction that actually leads us closer to the God that we might be tempted to question. And I get that, and I've done that. But Jesus says, you can come. I've opened the door, and you are always welcome. He goes on in in verse 9, and really the question here is, who gets the final word? Who's going to get the final word? Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Let me unpack that a little bit. What's going on there? I mentioned before that there was a synagogue in Philadelphia, and a lot of the people who were part of that synagogue came to faith in the Jesus of the Bible. And what happened on the other side of that is they got kicked out, and the door literally was slammed in their face. And I have to be honest about this verse and even its use, or I would say misuse throughout history, that there are people who use that verse to really fuel and justify anti-Semitic behavior. And there is nothing in that verse or anywhere else that justifies that or toward anyone else. But it's pointing to a real situation of people who said, you know what, I put my trust and my faith in a different place in the Jesus of the Bible. And on the other side of that, they literally got doors slammed in their face. Jesus says, I put before you an open door. But they were having people that they cared about shut the door in their face. And boy, would it be easy to think, well, that's just the way it goes. And if you follow Jesus, difficult things can happen and some mean people will have the final say over you and everything that happens to you. But Jesus says, there's another day coming. And I think there is a caution for us in this tale too. It can be tempting for us to define our faith by the things that we are against. And can I caution us about doing that? Are there some things that God calls us away from absolutely. But let's be defined more by what we are for. And when we look at that and we think, yeah, there were some jerks back then. They happened to be a part of that group. Can I just say there can be some jerks for Jesus too in our day? And can we just agree no jerks for Jesus? And let's be defined by what we are for. What is God for? He is for people. He is for our community. God is for everybody who matters to him. And so let us be defined more by what we are for. And the ironic thing is that as they were standing against the church and against the things that they were not for, they were actually working against God. And I think that dynamic happens an awful lot. That when we're defined primarily by what we are against and not for, we're working against the purposes of God because he is for people. And so I don't know about you, I've seen it on the East Coast and I've seen it here in Utah as I've talked to people that sometimes putting your hope and your trust in Jesus gets some doors slammed in your face. And maybe people that you care about who don't care about you anymore and maybe have cut off that relationship in one way or another. 
And there is a God who says, I know the details of your life. I know what you're going through. And I understand all the opposition that you face. God sees it. He knows. And he goes on to say, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And we don't know exactly what that was referring to, but here's what Jesus says. Even things that are on a global scale that are outside of your control, maybe the ground shakes, maybe there's conflict of one kind or another, but Jesus says, I have the power even to control those things. And there is nothing that happens outside of my knowledge of it. And I think only heaven will reveal ultimately how many times God stepped in and did not allow something to happen to you or me in a relationship with him. Final question here is how can this make me more like Jesus? Jesus says this in verse 11, I am coming soon. And maybe you've come across those things in the Bible before. Have you ever maybe asked this question out loud? I know I have. Jesus, how do you define soon? Because you said that 2,000 years ago. And here we are. What does soon mean? Now, we've got to realize that there's a God who stands apart from time. Okay, so he doesn't live in time the way that we do. He's bigger than that. But here's the other thing. This can be translated, I am coming quickly. And so this is really a call to say, hey, when it unfolds, it's going to happen fast. Live ready. Be ready at all times. Because one day, Jesus is coming back. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down uh, from my God out of heaven and my new name. There is so much in those verses. I really want to zero in on one thing. And that is when he talks about making them a pillar. Remember how Jesus' address to them started? I know that you just have a little bit of power, but I want to make you a pillar. And when you think about why that analogy would be there, why that visual would be there, think about that time where the ground shook. And if you've ever been in those environments, if you go over there to those ancient cities, it's like, oh yeah, there used to be a house here and you can kind of see the foundation, but the stones are all knocked down and everything. What are the things that are still standing even after the ground shakes? Pillars. And I have a picture of a couple pillars this is not, this is, is in the city of Philadelphia, but it's not from 2,000 years ago. It's from a little bit later. But man, those stone structures are strong. They are still standing after a long, long time. And here is what Jesus is saying to these people that he began by saying, I know that you have a little bit of power. I want to build you up so that you become strong and you will stand no matter what comes. I want to turn you into a pillar. We may ask the question, you know, after we put our faith and trust in Jesus, why are we still here? And there's a couple reasons for that. One of the primary ones is so that God can do his work of making us mature and growing us up in our faith so that we become more like Jesus. One of the verses in the Bible, there are a number of them that are 
kind of ripped out of context altogether and I believe often misapplied. This is one of them. Romans 8.28, and I love this verse. It says that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes that verse is misapplied this way, that everything that happens to you is good. Can I just say that's not true? Some things are not good. So what is that verse talking about? It's talking about something that is clarified in the verse that comes after it. And this is a danger of just taking something entirely out of context because it says, God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's Romans 8.29. For, because as a result, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the outcome? What is the purpose of God working through all things, including the bad things and the hard things, is to turn us into pillars, is to grow up our faith. And I think we know this just from our own lives. What life lesson have you ever learned sitting on the side of a pool, drinking a fruit drink with a little umbrella in it? And I would venture to say you didn't learn any life lesson there. You enjoyed it. That's good. But you didn't learn a life lesson. I'll bet you the life lessons that you learned just like me were learned in the hard times. And as you look back, you recognize the impact that it had. And so Jesus is saying to these people going through a hard time, you know what can be on the other side of this? You know what God's work can be in the middle of things that in this world sometimes are completely out of your control and seem like people that you care about don't care about you anymore, is that God can even use those difficult, hard things to mold you and make you and to build you into something strong, something that stands no matter what. Just yesterday, I was there for a service of somebody in our church who passed away not that long ago. Her name was Isla. Isla was just a great lady. I didn't know her all that well, you know, initially the first couple years that I met her. But I came to know that she's a really strong person. And she was diagnosed with a cancer condition that wound up becoming pretty painful near the end of her life. And Isla probably at the end of her life weighed about 80 pounds. But I got to tell you, she is a pillar. Because when she was talking to one of our other pastors here about what is to come and just the realities of her diagnosis, no fear, no fear. She knew it was coming, and she's okay with that. And I just want to suggest to you that God wants to grow us up to become strong and to recognize how big our God is. To maybe fight the counterintuitive moments when we want to turn away from Him and instead that we would turn toward Him. And that we would live with an ever-present sense that one day... Things are not going to be the way that they always are. And one day justice will flow and God has promised that he will make everything right. And even on the hard days, there's another day coming. And I think there's a question that we can ask ourselves when we go through difficult times as well. That says, how can this make me more like Jesus? 
How does that happen? Because God can take those difficult things and transform us into something that is strong. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads together with me as I pray. And just before I do, let me suggest this idea to you. Hold on to the one who is holding on to you. Because no matter what the day brings, no matter the difficulty that we face, that if you're in a relationship with Jesus, he's got you. And you are with him. Hold on to the one who is holding on to you. Lord Jesus, on this day, thank you for who you are. Thank you for understanding this world of ours that is so far on so many days from the way that it should be. And you know that. You get it. You see the details. You know what every single person faces. And thank you for that. And God, you know everything about every one of us. And the amazing reality is you love us. And so God, we ask that you would work in these hearts and lives of ours to build us up to make us strong so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus, that even that isn't ultimately about us. It's so that we can become more and more like you in what our heart sees, in what our character lives, and just even how we understand all things from your perspective. And so God, lead us in that direction. Draw us closer to you. And God, especially in the hard times, may we hold on to the one who was holding on to us. And we ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.